You are listening to The 945 Show on WFNULP 94.1 FM and podcasted everywhere. Local music from the Twin Cities. to the 945 show it is saturday july 13th episode six of the new summer show thanks for tuning in and listening to us on wfnu lp 94.1 fm st paul we are frogtown community radio i'm excited this morning i have teapot tempest in studio today good morning everybody good morning good morning all right uh first let's start out um if you could introduce yourself so we could put uh, a voice to the names and tell us uh, what your uh, role in the group is. All right, my name is Andrea Gear, and I'm the lead singer in the group and one of, one of the songwriters. Yeah. My name is Randy Wyman, I play guitar. My name is Mark Herendine and I play drums. And I am John Eibel on bass. All right, well, good morning. Thanks for coming in uh, on Saturday morning. I know everyone's uh, schedules are busy, um, and I know for for uh, indie groups, especially local groups, their uh, lives are every chaotic and everywhere, just like uh, all of us here. Um, I just wanted to uh, get to know your, your group a little bit more. If you could tell us, uh, how long has Teapot Tempest been around? I know you got together in 2016, according to your website. So if you could just give us a little background on, on how this all came together. Well, you know, we just crossed our third anniversary, third anniversary of our first gig. Actually, we're about three and a half years as a band. Um, we all work for the same company, which is how we've met. And we just crossed a 10-year anniversary of having um, pickup bands that we placed together to perform at company picnics. And so that started 10 years ago. And about five years ago, this coming September, we started taking that same set of musicians. So we have about 40 musicians that are participating okay. in this throughout the throughout the company. About a third of those are alumni now through the, you know, people that leave the company and things. But um, we, we take that employee picnic and we would then um, book a club locally and then take that same set of shows and, and perform, you know, during the night um, sometime on a weekend where employees that are musicians could have their family and friends come out and see them. Oh, nice. From that, um, we, as one of those pickup bands, which were you know a variety of musicians that mix and match to perform songs, one of the groups happened to be this quartet. We played as a, as a group one time four years ago or five years ago or so. And um, someone in the audience commented, boy, you guys sounded good. You guys should be in a band together. <laughs> and so that's kind of how this formed. Which might have been what we were thinking somewhere along the way. Randy has been uh, just a fantastic ringmaster for bringing the musicians uh, at the company together and mixing and matching, um, providing some friendly encouragement and a little bit of advice along the way where it's needed. Um, and uh, it's just been a great experience for us as well as I think all the other musicians in the company to be able to come together like that. And it's one of those things where we really never knew that talent was there. Uh, and a lot of that talent has developed over the last 
10 years. So that's really been a fun thing. And, and Teapot Tempest was just a natural outgrowth of that, that experience. And I think when we came together, uh, uh, for me and for Mark, sitting in the back, kind of laying down the groove, playing Chain of Fools was just, uh, that was just a click between bass and drums that sure. we just, neither of us had really experienced before to the same kind of degree. And then um, with just wonderful vocals and guitar coming together, um, we, uh, we talked to each other and, and uh, with a couple of us or, or the different band members at different life stages, you know, we got some young folks that are really busy raising families and scrambling here, there and everywhere and driving to practice. And we said, well, you know, if you can get together once a month, we can be pretty efficient with practice and uh, we can just see where it goes. But if you can be in a book club, you can be in a band. <laughs> And, uh, Is there a lot of wine involved yeah, there too? Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, it's probably a reduced wine consumption. Right. Uh, we're, we're actually we have a blast when we're practicing, but um, but you know we all take it uh, we all take it with the right level of seriousness. We're we're there to move forward as a band, uh, and we're there to accomplish some things. But man, is it fun along the way! So it just seems like a it just seems like a perfect combination of fun and progress. There's so many different things that uh, are involved in, in getting a band together and getting it click. So it's, uh, it's, it's been a great ride. Yeah, just to springboard off, one of the things that John was talking about was when we were first started playing together, uh, we, John and I, especially as bass and drums, really clicked. And there was a lot of looking at each other and smiling and grinning ear to ear and how excited we were about how, uh, how well we felt we sounded together. So, and that, uh, I think, resonated throughout the rest of the band as well. It made us kind of feel something special. All right, so I'll ask then you two when when you said John when you, you had that that feeling between the drums and the and the bass was it did when you felt it and, and you felt it was that like a head nod and a smile or how did that <laughs> oh yeah it was a head nod it was, at times it was kind of grinning ear to ear I mean the communication is obviously it's all nonverbal and, and right uh, there's some sight cues in there but uh, I think more than anything it was just just the feel and that's just um, you know that's you can have really good musicians that don't necessarily sound great together and and um uh you know we just we were just a great match um and we do feel like we're we're back there to 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 lay things down keep a beat and and keep the groove i'm very much i've I've always been focused on the rhythmic aspect I, i i love the combination of rhythm and and tone with bass um, you're contributing to uh, to the melody and the harmony, but then you're also got a strong rhythmic component. So that piece of it, I think, just really worked together really well with bass and drums. Nice. And with Andrew and Randy, when was when did you get that feeling like this is going to be something special that we could do? I got that. So the first year that we did our CD gathering, um, Andrea didn't participate that year because. Because I was pregnant with my third child. <laughs> so she had a good, good excuse, right? <laughs> but then the next year she came out and sang, and the moment I heard her sing, I thought, you know, because I had a few songs I was going to sing, I thought, okay, I'm going to give up all my songs. She's singing all the ones that I had. <laughs> so I knew the moment that I heard Andrea sing, which was just fantastic. And um, and I agree with what both John and Mark have said about the bass and the drums clicking in. You know, they describe that as a pocket. Um, sometimes positions do, mm-hmm. and um, and I always think that the foundation of the band, the most important element of the band to me, is the is the bass and drums and how well they fit together. And as John described, you can have great musicians, but if they don't fit in that exact time, and you can see that digitally in some of your files, you're probably doing, you can line that up and right. like a right stretch that out. 
and there's just the amount of a header behind the beat that a pocket feels really good and then it resonates with people and I think that Mark and John really do that really well so once we played that one gig where they were the rhythm section that Andrea was singing I thought you know that yeah this this sounds good this could work yeah, and music aside, these guys are just uh, great um, friends and fun to fun to play be in a band with. So I think we all get along, and it's just been great since three years on now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that is an important element, um, actually getting along well. That's, um, um, not every band can do that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's not drama like in Kiss or anything like that yet. <laughs> yeah. So then as a, a group that plays original music and does some covers, um, how, do you, how do you choose which songs you're covering and is there any rearranging of the music to make it sound more your style or do you just kind of try to play that straight up um, as it was originally done? Boy, that's a, that's a good question and you'll probably get a little bit different answer from everybody in the band. Um, Obviously, we you know the easiest way to get a band started is to start with covers, and and we had a lot of um, crossover in the kinds of music that we were mm-hmm. enthused about. Um, but we all have a different. First of all, we have all different musical tastes, so it, it doesn't completely overlap. Um, and everybody brings something different to uh, what makes a good song for the band. And so there's contributions from everybody. I think um, uh, Randy is our. Uh, uh, is our curator, uh, musical encyclopedia historian, <laughs> and uh, has got incredible knowledge of, of musical history, but also thinks a lot about what works well in a set. And set pacing is just something that gets him jazzed in addition to the individual tunes. And so the other three of us, we're happy to take a back seat and let Randy kind of forge ahead there because, um, because he does it so well. And it's something that the others of us have less experience with. I think in terms of musical taste, I'll just speak for myself and then hand it off to others. I, I, I started out listening to a broad variety of music. I sang in the choir at church and still like belting out harmonies in, in uh, traditional church hymns. And uh, I had an older brother, have an older brother, who's uh, about a dozen years older than I am. So when I was a kid, he was already a pretty accomplished guitar player. And... He would listen to uh, a lot of um, Allman Brothers. Um, he would listen to uh, Doc and Merle Watson, and I, I remember just falling in love and just being memorized, uh, mesmerized with acoustic guitar. Uh, but then on into the kind of the heyday of the 70s and everything from, uh, from whatever was popular on the radio at the time to reggae and, and from there through Parliament, Funkadelic, all sorts of, of uh, funk and R&B. And as a bass player, that really turned me on at the time. And I think that's kind of where my roots are. I think a lot of bass players will say, well, they, they come at it from a jazz perspective or they come at it from a rock perspective. And in the end, they, they want to make it groove. They want people to move with the music. And, right. But that's kind of the, the perspective that I come at it with when I'm, when I'm working on the bass. You talked about covers and, and how do we, do we rearrange and any of that sort of thing. And for me, I'm almost, at least I will start with note by note playing the bass and then go from there. Yeah, for me, uh, I'm an 80s kid, so my middle Perfect, school and high yep. school <laughs> years were right throughout the, the 1980s, so a lot of musical influence there, and uh, unintentionally wearing this t-shirt today. But, <laughs> the psychedelic um, first. <laughs> uh, uh, which is an 80s alternative band, alt-rock band. 
and then from there, the 90s, which was a lot of the, the grunge sound and Dave Matthews Band and that kind of stuff was definitely an influence. Um, but then after that is when things really expanded out for me. You head into the, the 2000s and uh, things changed a little bit and I started to look a little more broadly, more back to the 70s and even in the 60s, listening to Beatles and playing that kind of stuff. Um, Did you have a lost decade when you were raising kids? I'm just curious. I would say so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now that I think about it, yeah. So, yeah, now my kids are getting into music and I'm starting to listen to some of the stuff that they listen to, which I don't know if it's influencing me or not. I guess well, it's yet to be seen, but maybe it will at some point. In terms of cover choices, for me, growing up, I, I listened to a lot of Motown, a lot of my parents' Motown and girl group type of music. And so that's kind of the soul. And th those are the kind of songs that I probably gravitate towards and just love to belt out. <laughs> like Aretha Franklin came up right away. Chain of Fools is one of my favorite songs to sing. Um, and since joining the gr group at work, um, I got into a little bit of a little more rock side of things with uh, Led Zeppelin. So that had been suggested to me a well, few years ago. Well, how tough is uh, the Led Zeppelin to sing? <laughs> we would be so. a great Led Zeppelin for your band. Nice. Andrea, Andrea covering Robert Plant is a, just a spine, <laughs> that is a spine tingling experience, I gotta tell you. And that's not something I would have suggested initially, but I think Randy had suggested, why don't you try this? And I, and I, that's probably one of my favorite songs to sing, or any, any song by Led Zeppelin has been been a thrill to sing those <laughs> and they've got more like a like a bluesy Definitely, feel to it yeah. too so yeah, i mean rock. it wouldn't be too hard if you're a good blues singer to sing some of that music yeah. either right and it's fun to belt those high notes too right <laughs> <laughs> yeah as far as arranging coverage you know, i'm i'm a, a large fan of you know, all kinds of music but i really do like jam genre you know I'm, i love the dead you know mm -hmm. and, and all iterations of it I'm surprised you're not wearing a dead shirt today, no, Randy. I, not. <laughs> I thought that was just too on the nose. <laughs> but then this is radio, so I wouldn't know. Right. <laughs> um, but so I do listen to a lot of that. And then I tend to um, take songs that we have arrangements of or songs that we write and insert some improv that we would do, you know, live, much to the pleasure, I'm sure, of everybody that has to follow along. <laughs> Randy is slowly loosening us up. <laughs> Getting a little bit looser. <laughs> but then one thing that we, you know, I think that we all collectively encouraged was to, rather than just do covers, which we probably did for the first year, was to write songs. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, come up with melodies. Something that, you know, um, Andrea and John especially have really taken hold of. And so that's been a lot more fun for me personally that's a lot more fun to create music yeah. than it is to cover it now I, I do like the mix because i think that when you play original music the listening audience has to have a lot of patience for it mm -hmm. uh, because it's not familiar to them right mm -hmm. and so if you insert and john mentioned this about pacing if you insert a cover um even if it's done differently rearranged um, but if it's a familiar melody a familiar lyric a familiar song then i think people are more adept to tune their ears in and then pay attention again and then you can come back right. and play some more original stuff and try their patience for the next you know eight or ten minutes and then come back to right <laughs> yeah so i think the the influence of the teapot tempest original music into the covers that we play is 
something that I think is just starting to happen. As we write more originals, we're starting to get to a point where we understand our own sound and our own feel and what we like to play. So for a, a great example is Chain of Fools. I feel like the last couple of times we played that, we sound more like T-Bot Tempest playing Chain of Fools than we sound like a band trying to cover a version of Chain of sure. Fools. Yep. So that's kind of fun to to have that start happening because there's other songs we play in NXS song as well. So that would be a good example of a song where I wonder where that one's going to go in terms of sounding like us rather than sounding like NXS, which is a very unique sounding band. Yep. Right? So it's kind of fun makes the originals even even more fun so we have more ideas we want to start working on and we're all really excited about that too right so andrew you're one of the songwriters who else is this songwriter johnny you've written some well most of the song, I mean, it's it i would say they're written by the band because yeah. they're all shaped by the band but uh, a lot of the songs have started with um me and andrea trading ideas back and forth uh and we use an app just to share ideas back and forth and it might start with a lyric fragment or it might start with lyrics and then one or the other of us uh, gets stuck on lyrics. That's happened kind of both ways. Um, but it can also start with a melody or a hook. And sure. I'll play it on the bass. I might even have a guitar idea or just a fragment of a bass idea. And then we'll we'll build on it from there. We've brought things in in kind of various states of, of readiness. And they either move forward directly from there or they, they back up and they start uh somewhere completely different i don't know what to say started with well i can't even necessarily recall exactly how it started but it got stuck on lyrics and it traded back and forth and it moved ahead with lyrics and then there was a version of it that we worked on and it wasn't quite right and randy and i had some great back and forth working through bass part and guitar part until we came up with kind of a little bit of a dissonant feel and guitar chord changes over the same bass line in the beginning and it that one just it was really fun to see how that one kind of took some turns and kept moving forward and turned into a tune that uh, it's got a great feel for us now. Yeah, it's, I ask the question of songwriters all the time. You know, what what's the hardest part or the easiest part? Is it the the lyrics itself or is it the music that kind of goes along with it? Because I would, for me, I would think that the words would be easier, and then putting music to those words to try to get that right tempo. Would be so, hard. This is the radio host, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, you know, who knows? <laughs> Maybe it's the other way around. I mean, I yeah. don't know. That's For why me, I, always, I would say it's the other way around. Okay, yeah, that's why I always ask <laughs> songwriters because I've got I've probably asked that question you know, a hundred different times and gotten a hundred different answers. So yeah, for me, I always have some type of internal soundtrack in my head. So there's okay. some type of melody that I can hear, and sometimes I'll think, oh, that's kind of that sounds unfamiliar i don't i don't think i've heard that before maybe it's something i just made up and then that then i might try to come up with some some words to go with that or maybe i can't and i'll say hey john have you heard this before and do you have any word you know work, lyric ideas to go with this yeah it's interesting you know uh andrea and i hadn't written before and uh you know as we talked about moving from from covers to originals we all just kind of looked around and i think andrea and i thought well okay, somebody's <laughs> got to do this. How do you do this? Maybe we just kind of start hacking away for the, for the, uh, for the lyrics piece. I think what I found is it's, it's pretty easy to write really bad lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I'd be good at it. It'd be awesome. <laughs> John Hyatt's one of my favorites. Uh, he's been one of my favorites over the last number of decades, two to three decades, I guess. And, and, uh, 
I think that songwriting is one of those things that you you can you can appreciate it. You can appreciate a good song. You find out how hard it is when you actually start doing it. And uh, so you know, I tried to get three or four dozen really bad ideas out of the way early. And, <laughs> but but and, and what happens is you know your odds just kind of improve slightly, and or maybe you just become more critical and realize that if you stay critical, you can you can continue to improve and come up with something that's decent. Uh, have you ever written something you thought, oh, this is going to be terrible, but brought it up anyway, and it ended up being something that you really, really well, I liked? I'm up to I'm up to a couple hundred ideas. <laughs> many, many of is sitting in our app, and, and yeah, many of which are never going to move forward. So, yeah. All right, so let's listen to three of your songs right now. Let's listen to Love's Got to Take the Blame, Wide Awake, and I'm Not Low. This is Teapot Tempest, my guest this morning on the 945 show. We are WFNU 94.1 FM in St. Paul, Frogtown Community Radio.
with me as I take you into the weekend and there's no better place to do it than the midday escape with Philip Gracia every Friday at noon only on WFNULP 94.1 FM in St. Paul
So uh, on your website, and you brought it up to Randy, you like to play some jam songs um, with the group. What are some of your favorite uh, songs to just jam out to? Glad we have a lot of time for this. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I, I started with the dad, the, the um, Grateful Dead, that is, and and you know Garcia. I really like the Garcia Hunter compositions. 
Um, and that was a split where Hunter was the lyricist and Garcia was the musician, you know, did the music to it. And I thought that pairing worked really well. And not the only one. I mean, there's a gazillion of very successful, right? Bernie Taupin, Milton John. I mean, there's a lot of pairs where the lyricist is one role and the musician is the other role, or the music writer, I should say, composer. Um, so we'll start back with The Grateful Dead, and I like all pretty much all the versions of that. The current version, Dead & Company, where John Mayer is slotted into that guitar slot, that's really interesting. Um, and they've gotten some fabulous positions with Telford Edge and um, bass guitar, and you know, so they're really putting out some good stuff. But you know, just talking about other jam bands, Mo and the String Cheese Incident, and um, Fish, of course, who was you know, really kind of took their mantle for a while in the '90s and kind of extended that. The Dave Matthews Band that um, mentioned, most people don't think about Dave Matthews as a jam band, but I right. really think that they are, especially live, they're able to do that. Um, so you know, I and and it's not that the songs themselves. There are great songs, especially from I think the Hunter and Garcia collaboration. But what I like is the freedom and improvisation that those bands take so that when you listen to it, it's, it's something different each time, especially live. I mean, studio recordings are one thing, and it's fun to do the studio stuff, which we've just started. Um, but listening to those bands live, it's, it's like jazz. It's the approach where you know they take a melody, but then they'll move off into some other exploration of it. And you know, sometimes it doesn't always work. But when it does work, to me, it's magical. It's just, you know, thrilling to hear really good musicians have this conversation and feed off each other and feed off the fan base that's in the show at the time. So that's, um, some musicians describe that as being in the note. Um, a sports guy would say they're in the zone. Mm -hmm. right? It's the same kind of a thing. It's, it's where you are able to free yourself of the conscious thought and somehow you're able to do something even better than you thought you perhaps could if you were consciously really uh, thinking about it, right? I know I'm being a little esoteric and not describing that. <laughs> that's quite all right. <laughs> but, but that um, that um, moment that you arrive, and it's, it can be a, an extended moment over a period of time, um, if you can reach that while playing live, um, that's one of the best feelings to me. And so I, that's what I kind of strive for is to take these songs and and reach that you know collective zone where we're all thinking about uh, or not thinking about it but just doing it right and if we ever turn into more of an improvisational band randy's going to be the one who's who's leading the way um he's got he, he's got music theory in his fingers i've got some of it in my head and a little bit of it in my fingers but one of the things that i i really feel was a lifetime gift to me was a music teacher who drilled interval training into me, into my head when I was taking piano at a, at a young age. And that's one of those things where, you know, I learned it around age seven and it stuck with me for a lifetime. So I can follow, uh, and, and also anticipate where things are going with the music. If Randy's taking the lead in improvisational aspects, and then there's more of it as a band that, you know, we're just starting to work through, but there's, there's, there's way more than the notes. There's, um, there's the dynamics and there's the space that you create, which gets into what Mark does on drums. And so the eye contact and the immediacy that comes with that when you're improvising is something that I think the, the other members of the band, the three of us are just starting to getting a, a taste for, and probably a thirst for, cause it is exciting. Um, in those, in those moments when we're, we're not just, right on the rails and we don't exactly know where it's going to go yet. And yet we're starting to develop some level of trust that we can be improvisational and, and uh, get some really good stuff out of it. So that's fun. 
So early on, before we uh, were getting used to Randy going off on his jam band <laughs> tangents, there there was this sense for me. There was this sense of fear. He he plays with a wireless setup, so there was this fear that came over me when he would leave the stage and go walk around the crowd because <laughs> I had I had no idea where he was going and how long he would be back and what I was supposed to be doing while he was gone and. And now it's it's more excitement, actually, because then I can look at John and he and I can really lay down a nice tight pocket for Randy to explore around in. And we'll even do a little filling ourselves just within that without taking too much away from what Randy's doing. So it's getting it's getting fun. I'm excited to see how much of a jam band we turn into. <laughs> you could probably sneak in a few uh, drum solos in there as you go, probably, too, right? Oh, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm quite that that far along and <laughs> jamming yet. <we'll> <laughs> All right. So you've gone around and played gigs in some, uh, some places. So, um, my question, where in the past couple of years have you played that you haven't been back to, but you really want to go back to? <laughs> <laughs> the first place that came to mind was the wild times stage, which unfortunately is is no more, but that was a, a blast to play at. That was one of the first venues we played at with the Seagate uh, uh, band outside of um, the work. Yeah, Wild Time's a local <laughs> club. It was, you know, it's over in the um, Lauritown area and uh, Palace Stage that, that was started by First Avenue. First Avenue purchased Wild Time's to be a, you know, an adjunct a restaurant in support of that. And so it's a great area. Um, I'll say that, you know, the maybe the disconcerting thing to me as a musician are the number of live music venues that are closing over the last few years, right? We've lost um, live music at um, Famous Days in Cavan Square and Lee's Liquor Lounge closed, Whiskey Junction closed and then reopened again, um, Wild Times closed, Venue Caddy, which is across the street from Palisader, that's closing after the last date is maybe this weekend. So just a number of live music venues are, you know, they're shrinking. Um, I think there's a, there's a couple of, you know, we just played Mears Park um, this past Monday and that that's a fabulous park location. You know, the stream running through it and the nice band shell, that's a lot of fun. Um, hope to do that again. Um, we're playing Rice Park up. We've not played that one yet and that's coming up um, um, in a couple of weeks. On the 8th. Right? Week? On, on the 8th of July. Yeah. And then we're doing Lake Erie Band Shell, which is a, a personal favorite of mine. We've not played there, but that's one that I hope that we um, continue to go back to. It's, um, I live nearby there and so I've, you know, you've, raise kids there and I, I i love live music if i would rather play it but I, I will go out and watch it as much as i can and so that's a location that i frequently go and see live music throughout the summer and that's um that's a, that's a just a brilliant place to play just because of the structure and the, the way that it's you know set up yeah it has it has been a challenge finding a wide variety of places to play um i don't i don't think it's just me i think all of us really like uh, like playing outside um you can hear each other really well um, on a nice day. It's a great environment. I, I second what Randy said. Mears Park is just a great environment uh, to be able to play in. But uh, yeah, playing outside, there's a there's a level of clarity and and uh, um, and freshness that comes with it. So that's that's really nice. But then finding, you know, outdoor venues are typically they're not permanent. They're events, and so you've got to find the right events. You got to have the right timing, and you got to figure out well, okay. How do you get in there? Either who's the booking agent or who does who does the arrangements? And so, we focused on this summer to be able to play outside more. We're playing outside a little more, but we're, we're also not a band that's going to be playing uh, three times a week, which uh, and we're not going to be playing for three hours a night, which makes it a, a little bit different kind of challenge. 
Yeah, no, I know when I used to DJ weddings, sometimes the crowd just isn't into it and you got to pull out everything you can to try to get them involved. What do you do to uh, get a crowd that's sitting on their hands a little bit <laughs> to get them up and either dancing or at least react a little bit <laughs> when the songs are over? You know, it's, it's a good point. Part of that is, and John mentioned this earlier, is the, the pace of the set. Um, this was described, I think that what, there's a movie um, with Jack Black in it called High Fidelity, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but he's a record store owner and he talks about making mixtapes mix and the rules that are provided, right? You gotta start strong, <laughs> but not too strong, right? Because you gotta go somewhere else and then, and then, you, then you, you know, so you grab them and then you maybe bring them down a little bit. And um, live music pacing to me is similar. You know, you wanna take the listener on a bit of a journey, maybe it's emotional, maybe it's just to have a good time. Um, I will say, you know, we're not a, a wedding band, so we're, um, the intent is not to get people of wide age range up and dancing, right? So we have it a lot easier than you would have had it as a DJ. <laughs> and we have fewer songs to draw from than I'm sure. Right. Yeah, some nights you just couldn't hide anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, to engage people, I think part of it is, um, part of it, sort of, certainly a big part of it is the music and, and the pace that you're presenting it to. Um, the amount of energy and dynamics that you have in it. But also people tend to listen with their eyes for live music. And so, you know, you, you need to be able to engage them, you know, look at them and smile and have a good time, which is easy for us because we do have a good time as we're playing. But I think that's a, that's a good element to help keep people engaged as you're playing live. All right. So is there a, a venue you haven't played yet that you want to really get into? This was at WFNU Studios. Nice, yes. Perfect, Randy. <laughs> we, we have arrived. I think I'm going to take that sound bite, and we're going to play that over and over and it's over bad. again. We felt our weakness was marketing, but we've been getting increasing focus lately. <laughs> no, and then um, is there, you don't have to give any names because we, we don't want to bash anybody, but you give me a situation or a circumstance of a venue that... No, we're not ever going back there. Ooh, you know, I, I can tell you about as part of the formation of the band that we had a fair number of rules that we laid down early, which meant that we were destined for smallness. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we weren't going to cram our stuff into a minivan and, and travel over 40 miles for a gig. Uh, we didn't want to get beer spilled on us as we were playing. We didn't want anybody yelling free bird from the audience. Uh, so... <laughs> And then uh, one member of the band, at least one, I, I won't say how many, wanted to be reading a book by 11 at night in bed. So, you know, it, it's not as... That would be all of us. <laughs> so I think that guarantees a certain kind of venue and a certain kind of audience. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good rule, actually, to have the in bed by 11 o'clock. I can feel all of you on that one. So. so we have a lot of fun with that one. But the fact is, I mean, it was a recognition that, uh, you know, Randy and I are a little bit older. We been in plenty of bands and uh enough to know the things that we wanted to stay away from and the things that we got real joy out of as a band and you've only got so much energy in life right and you've only got so much energy for a band and part of that i think was just making sure that we kept it directed toward the things that were the most fun for us all right so how long have, have you each individually played uh your respective instruments and music and and uh before you got into uh to this band I'll start. I have been playing drums since I was in, uh, playing a drum set until since about seventh grade. So I guess that would have put me about 13 or 14 years old. And I'm, um, it's just like, it was like five years ago. So I've been playing for five years. 
no, I'm I'm 47 now, so I've been playing for 35 years. Am I doing the math right on that? <laughs> yep. Well, as a, a singer, I guess I would say that I've been singing my entire life. Um, uh, growing up, I did some choir in church, so probably um, starting off as a children's choir, and then we did a lot of musicals in church. So I would I um, got as many solo parts as I could singing in those musicals. And then as I went went on up through school, I did some, played the French horn for a while, played piano, um, and continued to basically uh, sing in my car in the shower pretty much <laughs> um, until uh, this opportunity appeared at work to um, sing in, in a live band again. So i um, very grateful for that. <laughs> so are we. <laughs> so... I'm sure Randy thought this interview was going to be fun, but I don't know if he realized he was going to be able to talk about instruments. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I love music. Um, and I'll just say that one thing that's interesting to me is a, this kind of a side note is that, you know, we all work for the same company. It's, it's a high tech company. And so it's dominated by engineers, right? And so engineers are typically um, straight, logical thinkers, statistics, mathematics, right? Science, there's methodology that right? you want to be proven. Um, and it was a surprise to me that we had so many musicians. I guess I shouldn't be now. After I thought about it, I thought, well, I shouldn't have been surprised. But I was in the beginning um, because I think there's a relationship. There certainly is. A, you can explain music by math, mm -hmm. um, but then it strips out all the emotion of it, right? But the structure of it, the language of it really is, you know, um, by math. I started um, um, music. My grandmother used to play in the farmhouse, and she had an old way out of tune piano, and she would play by ear. And I remember, you know, being as tall as her piano bench seat, listening to it and thinking, I want to do that, right? And so asked my parents, they checked with the teacher. Teacher said, well, you got to learn how to read. I was really young, I, you know, just a very small toddler. I said, you have to learn how to read first. So that was incentive. So I hurried up, learned how to read. I got a piano, I could take piano lessons. So I started on piano, went to drums, played trumpet through school. And then um, during, um, teenage years um, heard this guy by the name of Jimi Hendrix mm. and I thought I think I've heard of him I yeah. thought yeah <laughs> fairly unknown guy right <laughs> I was really listening to the deep tracks then and, <laughs> and thought you know that's that's what I want to play I, that that's the instrument right so a day after graduated from high school took lessons from a guy and up to that point I had um, learned music the traditional way which is to read right and so I had all the structure and you know reading all those lines and dots and all that stuff and this teacher, this guitar teacher was a local, you know, I thought he was a fantastic guitarist. I couldn't understand how he could play so well and not be famous. But he taught me how to play by ear. And so I told him that summer, I was 17, I said, you know, I want to learn, I want to exit these three months and I want to play um, Reeling in the Ears by Steely Dan and Free Ride, which were two songs that were on the radio at the time. And I thought, there's no way. You know, I had never played guitar and there's no way I'm going to be able to learn that. But by the end of the summer, he gave me the structure to play by ear which has served me well for, you know, years and years and years. I'm the oldest in the, in the group. And so, you know, I've had a long time to um, fritter away and, you know, explore the various aspects of guitar. But guitar is like, you know, golf, it's, or any music, musical instrument is. You, you never get everything, right? It's always a journey. You're always, you're always learning something. I learn something pretty much every week. It's a very slow rate, but at least I pick up a little small snippet of something as you're exploring it. So it's a, it's just fascinating to me that you can, you know, reach level. And, and you'll you listen to people like Tommy Emmanuel, who's just a brilliant acoustic guitarist. 
and you think that these people are still learning, right? They're still on that journey, and everybody's on the same kind of a journey, right? They're all exploring and learning, um, but everybody's just in a different point, right? A different point on that curve, and so anyway, long answer, but it's, to me, to me, <laughs> music is fascinating, and in the way that it links in with you know mathematics, fun, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, not necessarily parallel paths, but but similar paths with different instruments. Um, a little bit younger than, a few years younger than Randy, and and uh, and boy, the '70s were just an incredible decade for for rock and roll. And and uh, with older brothers, um, I got different musical influences. I mentioned my older brother, and and uh, the next oldest brother um, was into uh, Weather Report and uh, John McLaughlin and Mahavishnu Orchestra, and uh, great stuff. Yeah, and and from there. Uh, you know, I found there was this guy named Jaco Pastorius who played bass somewhere in there and, and, uh, and then Stanley Clark. And, um, but I, I, I focused on piano until I was about 15. I took piano for, uh, you know, probably a few too many years. I progressed, but very slowly and I just wasn't thriving with the piano. And so then when I went into high school, I, I joined choir. I was in a, a vocal pop group combination of singing and dancing, but then, uh, the jazz band, their junior year, my junior year didn't have a bass player. And, uh, and so I, that's when I started playing bass. And so I started in about 78 and, and, uh, so I had the music th theory from piano and pretty much self-taught. Um, and I would just, put records on and play and whatever I couldn't play, I would just keep on trying it. And so, uh, going from, uh, not necessarily the challenge of trying to follow where Stanley Clark went or Jaco Pastorius, but, but, uh, from Santana to reggae, which is just a blast to play on the bass, um, and just kind of started from there. And I picked up my first bass, bought it with my paper route money in 1978, and I've still got it. It comes out every once in a while. Uh, <laughs> And uh, it's great to have around, and it's uh, it's a good sounding bass, but a little bit heavy for me to have hanging around my neck for an hour and a half now. All right. So, uh, what is in the future uh, for Teapot Tempest in the next year or two? What's a goal? What's a goal in two years? What where do you see this uh, this headed? Well, we recorded a few songs right now, so we we have many more that we are wanting to record. So I think that would be definitely a near-term goal to record our first album and get that out yep no i agree that certainly um it was a great experience we you know you never know how it's going to work because performing live versus recording in the studio is mm -hmm. it's a different skill set thing um there's parallels but it's but it's different and um and we had a really good experience we went to 8vb studios which is over in minneapolis in the warehouse district and a friend of ours is a co-owner and a um a wonderful, very adept uh, uh, recording engineer, producer, has a great bedside manner to make you feel at, uh, <laughs> at ease in recording. So, so yeah, recording more would be uh, certainly on the thing. And I think that, um, you know, continuing to look for those, you asked this question before, where do you want to play? Looking for those um, sweet spots. Um, you know, and there are a lot of them around here. Even though I mentioned earlier that the um, amount of live music recording venues is, seems to be shrinking, you know, more going out of business than are coming in. Um, there's still a tremendously vibrant musical um, cooperative around the Twin Cities area, right? Which I'm sure you've seen by you know contacting other musicians and singer songwriters. But the amount of talent here really is tremendous, and you know it's not just the national scale of you know Prince and Dylan. It's it's all the local talent that you run across. And 
I'm still amazed when I go and see bands that, or singer songwriters, just soloist duels, trios, what have you, that I've never heard of or never seen before. And they just are fantastic. You know, they, the amount of talent is surprising that you, that you run into. So I think that finding the, um, you know, the additional spots to play that are really fun. I agree that playing outdoors, you know, we don't get that many months in Minnesota to do that, but um, when the weather's nice, playing outside is really fun. So continuing to explore those. Um, Molly's done a great job booking the Como um, spot up there. That's a really fun place to see live music. It's outdoors and, uh, you know, spots like that is, I think are, um, along with finishing and doing more recording would be. So a couple of really strange tangents off of that question. So it got me thinking. So I love live music as well. Kind of similar to what Randy's saying. I like to take in live shows whenever I get a chance to do that and then love playing as well. And one of my hopes and actually my wife's hopes as well is that our love of music rubs off on our kids. And my oldest is playing drums. My second oldest is playing guitar. He started in January and our youngest is playing piano right now. And the goals that our guitar player has for the summer is to learn five songs and to learn how to sing three of them. He's 10. So he's pretty ambitious. In right. Terms of perfect. Goals. Perfect goal. though. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you got me thinking about this, this, that question and got me thinking, boy, as Teapot Tempest would be great to get him up on stage with us to play one of those songs at some point. It might not be this year, but it might be a year or two down the road. That would be just, just incredible. Just great. And then I think the other goal is 500 Facebook likes. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I hear you on that one. Those are those are tough to get though. What's this Facebook you speak of? <laughs> you asked a good question. We we had this conversation last fall and and uh, and um, decided that we were going to be a little bit more intentional about lining things up to play outside more this summer, and and we kind of did that. I mean it it. It resulted in some studio time, and it resulted in the um, in the the website for the band, and and uh, and more presence out there online, so that people can see it. And and now a few more gigs in the summer, and um, you know when we have a pause, we'll have to have that conversation about the coming year and what that looks like in the coming year. But I agree. I think kind of an extension of we we went on kind of a tear writing songs last summer, early summer and in, and into the summer, and uh, and pretty much wrote all the originals that we, that we perform now. And, uh, and that was, that was a lot of fun, super productive, but again, only so much time. So then you're not doing other stuff. We'll just have to talk about, um, at the end of the summer or in the back half of the summer, what the next year is going to look like and how to get things lined up. And now would a full album release be there or would it be EPs? I know some, some it's different for each group. So, I mean, I know that'd be a conversation you'd have to have and probably not even prepared to answer right now, but <laughs> what um, do you think we're looking for advice? <laughs> <laughs> I've seen a lot of EP releases. That seems to be like the trend going right now, but I'm depending on, you know, how many songs you have written and how much time you have to record everything. And I know the recording part probably takes a, big chunk after the writing part so i mean it, it can um the way that we did our, our current three songs is we booked a saturday afternoon and we went and we laid down all the bass tracks then we went back and laid over the vocals and and you know so the, the bass recording was done in an afternoon and then the mixing was done came back in and did the rest of that afterwards um but you know that it's it really is time and then and then the expense of it so if you do it in chunks you know if we repeated that and did 
three more sessions, three songs each, and you'd have a grouping of 12 songs. So it could be a, an, an LP, right, content. Um, but I, you know, I'm still kind of a bit confused over what that means these days because, you know, the, People still do you still do CDs. I mean, I was just thinking about that. I mean, we've left the album, we've left the constraints of the album format behind. Right. Yeah. So, and then you know, even the physical nature of an album or a CD or anything physical, we kind of left that constraint behind. So, kind of hard to know where we are. Right. Yeah. I know a lot of traveling bands have returned, resumed, or returned to cassette tapes because they're yeah that's it's right? becoming a, a big thing now right. so that was and that's something i asked online a couple of weeks ago was if you follow a, an indie band that you like would you buy the cassette but do you still have an a way to play that player, cassette right? yeah. because <laughs> exactly. it's like the cd player is starting to go away because everything's becoming digital yeah. but vinyl is making a comeback so i mean i i guess you kind of have to balance cassettes are less expensive like you said but is the audience going to be able to play your art if they buy it that way? We thought about the USB sticks as an option. Oh, that's especially if you have a newer car now. If we have if you actually right. have a brand new car, you probably don't have a CD in it, player in it. Right. But you do have a, a USB connection, right? So it's one place to play mobile music, right? And you can even plug it in then to a variety of other formats. Home, you can do that probably now, but um, it's interesting. So you know, coming up with the EP format versus the you know, LP format, it's, I don't know if there's a, um, a need any longer necessarily to get a collection to do an LP and then do a release, unless you're um, at a different level than we are, right? Right. But I do, I think the indie bands are using the cassette tapes. I find it interesting. I mean, I still have a cassette player. I can't say that I use it very often, but I've got some stuff that I recorded live years ago that I don't want to give up, right? Some of it I, I transitioned to CD. And some of those I have transitioned to, you know, a hard drive. And so I've got a variety of formats. It's interesting that the most, the most music that I play now is back to vinyl. Um, and I've just started, because there's something about, and this is probably nostalgic for me, but there's something about the physical nature of picking up that large 12 inch, nice piece of art and taking it out and cleaning it off and dropping it down. And then rather than getting an hour's worth, you get a, a short duration of music, right? 20 minutes or so to listen to before you need to take an action, do something different. And I'm not, you know, an um, audiophile that is just sold that vinyl is the, the warm and everything. And I do like the way it sounds, but I don't do it for that. I just find that it's uh, enjoyable to grab the records and even to go through the bins now, you know, to go to some of the record stores and look through and, and do the flip, 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 flip. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Right? You know, it took me a while to get that flip. You know, um, but it's fun to, to shop for that kind of stuff. And my brother recently, um, um, a year ago or so, got a, a, a restored um, jukebox that plays 45s. And so he's been on a tear looking for rare 45s. And he's always been an avid collector. And so he's um, expanded that now to look for albums as well. And so he's come up with some just great finds, you know, things that hadn't wasn't aware of or had forgotten about. And it's just a lot of fun to listen to all the um music that's stored and uh, vinyl probably, even though it's subject to, you know, tear because of the, the physical nature of it, 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 it holds up fairly well, right? It, it, as a, as a, as a physical platform, it holds up uh, from deterioration probably better than um, cassette disc tape format and or a CD type. Yeah, thing. certainly cassettes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And I've got a 1962 vinyl that still sounds great. So, I mean, it might wear down a little bit if you're not taking care of it, but if you right. take care of it, it's going to last for a very long time. Yeah. Plus, now you can do different things with vinyl. They don't just come in black circular discs. I mean, they come in different shapes, colors. My son just bought one that's clear. Yeah. So, I mean, you can do, you know, nice. a lot of things that, that'll fit whatever you need it to do now, too. So, right. I think... Uh, you know, all that has something, you know, the appeals to a different person over another, you know. So, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of ways you can get that done. So, there's a goal. Let's make the goal to make an actual vinyl record. <laughs> <laughs> Put that on the list, right? <laughs> yeah. So, where, uh, speaking of, of music and how do we get your music? How does somebody listening today? So we Turn the have, radio off and go right to, to buy your stuff. You can look at up Teapot Tempest on YouTube. Um, we also have on our website, we have our uh, recorded songs there. Look up teapottempestband.com. Yeah. And then you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, is there anything you want to say as we finish up about Teapot Tempest or about music in general that you want to get out there for our listeners? Final thoughts? <laughs> so I'll share one final thought. Um, having having done this for a while and, and, uh, and been in different bands with different aspirations, there's so much that goes into a band that clicks. Uh, and part of it is the musicianship and are you at somewhat similar levels as musicians in terms of accomplishment? Do you have similar musical tastes? Do you have the same amount of time available? Do you have the same aspirations for the band? Um, and you put all that together and, uh, you know, you might not get a kick out of, uh, just hanging around with each other. And, uh, it's, uh, it's kind of a kick for me personally to have all of those things lined up, uh, to be able to make, uh, music that I like, uh, with the amount of time that I have available with people that I just really enjoy hanging out with. And I think, I think that, uh, it's similar feelings all the way around the band. Every once in a while, there's just kind of a pinch me moment. Like, uh, I'm not really sure how this could possibly get better. And we have talked about it from time to time. Well, would we fill out the sound with a rhythm guitarist? And uh, would we get a, a, a piano player, a keyboard player in the band? And yeah, that would add, but it probably would detract just as much as it was added. Right. So the only way we could figure out how to add without subtracting was just to have Andrea figure out how to play rhythm guitar while she was singing. <laughs> so, so who knows? Stay tuned and All keep right. watching this space. We'll see. So I, I um, as a closing aid, I, um, I'd echo what, what John said. This, this, this current group is really rewarding. It's really fun. And, um, you know, I just encourage folks to not only go to teapottempestband.com and, you know, look, look at us there, but, but to just go out and see live music um, and support it. Um, because I, um, it's something that if, if we, I think it's probably true that if we don't continue to nurture it locally, that we won't have the same opportunities that we've, that we've had. And um, so that to me is, is, you know, get out and um, don't just listen on your earbuds and, you know, scan through YouTube or Spotify or Pandora, the streaming services, but, but actually go out and experience, experience that there really is something about live music that, um, to me is much more stimulating and exciting than, you know, any sound system that you'd have or set of headphones, right? It's, um, it's the experience of, you know, capturing that. And to John's point about our goal of trying to play more outside, to me, outside live music, I mean, that's, that's, you know, I would choose to do that probably nine out of 10 times if I had a choice to go. 
Um, state fair is coming up. I'm a huge state fair fan, mostly because you know you can pay, you can buy a ticket and entry fee, and you, there's so many live music opportunities there throughout the day. I mean, they got all the stages. They got the course you can go to see the headliners, but the, you know all the little bars and clubs that have music around the state fair and the free stages that they have. Tremendous um, um, experience just to walk around and be able to see all that and take all that in. Yeah, I agree. The I think they have 900 free shows of free music throughout yeah, the fair. I mean, tremendous. What a, what a value. Yeah, right, I mean, I'm sure if they looked at it, probably one of the biggest free music periods for 12 days I, in the in the world, probably. Yes, <laughs> so exactly. there's always right. something going on there. So, yeah. uh, well, I want to thank you all for coming in. This has been awesome. So. Um, and uh, if you get some more recording done and get an EP out there, I'm going to have you back on just to talk about it and and uh, see what we can do. But it, thanks for coming. I really appreciate uh, everything. Thank you. This has yeah. been great. Thanks for the opportunity. It's been a great conversation. It has. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, thank you, Mike. And before I forget again, before we get out of here really quick, uh, the three songs that uh, we heard from you today were Love's Got to Take the Blame, Wide Awake, and I'm Not Low. And those three songs are available on your website. So that's Teapot Tempest. Get out there, uh, find their music, listen to it, um, and support support everybody you've listened to on this show. This is the uh, 945 show on WFNULP 94.1 FM in St. Paul. We are Frogtown Community Radio. The Here I Am podcast is coming up next in our airwaves, and the Chill Zone will be on at 4 o'clock. Thanks for listening, and have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to the show. Please remember to rate and review us on iTunes. And if you'd like to help support this podcast, please visit my Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Radio. That'll help support this podcast and my other podcast, 651 Sports Update. Thank you very much.